Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Good morning, church. Uh, I am Harsha Nadilla, and uh, I've been coming to the Way Church uh, for more than two years now, and I am serving with the worship team within this church. So today's God's Word is from the book of Galatians, chapter 6, 1 to 10. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Father, we thank you for the reminder of your goodness and your grace and how we do have burdens that we bring with us, but we're not alone. Father, we have you. We have, by your goodness and your grace, we have your people. Father, we thank you for bringing us here and reminding us that we're not alone in whatever we go through. And we just ask that you lead and guide this time of worship and focus on you as we encounter you through your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, you may have a seat. Well, again, we're going to be in Galatians 6, verses 1 through 10, and we're continuing our series by faith. And again, the context here is this is a Holy Spirit-inspired letter from the Apostle Paul written to the local churches in Galatia. And so if I can sum it up real quick, because he continues to go over the same principles by faith, by faith, by faith. It really becomes belief in the Lord comes before any kind of busyness for the Lord. But belief in the Lord also compels a type of busyness of faith with works Onto the Lord. And so as I think about this passage and even this emphasis, I can't help but to think about this day that we set aside to celebrate moms. On this Mother's Day, in this verse 10, this talks about, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. And there's so many moms who are working tirelessly and oftentimes thanklessly for the good of their household. Bandaging boo-boos, caring for their kids and their husbands right? And so just thankful for moms. And I know, I'm very aware that when we come to Mother's Day, there's a variety of emotions. Some of us had great mothers who are worthy of respect and honor and very loving and just really demonstrate true characteristics of the Lord Himself, compassionate, faithful, loving, all these different things. And then others had moms maybe on the not so much side of things. Some of us, our moms right now, are just loving being a mom, and some moms are maybe not so much and just struggling. Some just have this desire to be moms, 
and maybe can't this time. And so I, I'm aware that Mother's Day brings a well of emotions. I'm just asking the Lord, as we look at burdens, God's presence just to wash over you. And his love just to wash over you and encourage your heart and your mind, no matter where you're at, weary, burdened, joyful, anywhere in between that God just brings a work inside of you today. And you know that he is still God. Let's rest in his presence. And so that's what we're going to look at is just this burden-bearing, carrying concept. So if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, For the Good of All. For the Good of All. And here we are here, the weather's getting warmer, and you know, fishing season is in full swing. And uh, I like to fish with my, with my kiddos, and they enjoy fishing. Uh, but I'm not the angler by any means. And so really fishing really talks looks more like just putting a lure out and reeling it back a whole bunch of times until we're tired and go home. That's what really look, what it looks like. But I know enough about the concept of fishing. And so what I know is I have a fishing pole, and I got this little shiny thing called a lure that I put on it. And if I put it out there and lure, reel it back, lure it back, that the fish at some level will be attracted to it. The shininess will attract them, lure them into it. Every once in a while, I'll catch a fish. They fall for my scheme to lure them in, and next thing you know, they're hooked. And it's not a good position for them to be in. And so with this in mind, it brings us to verse 1. Because in a very similar way, it relates. When it talks about brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing. This is, like the wording here is, falling prey to sin. This is a reminder, and I want to go through a couple things together this morning. Is Ephesians 6, verse 11 talks about the schemes of the devil. Schemes. And so often we fall prey to the schemes of the devil because we're not really aware of the schemes that he's throwing at us. And let me say this. I'm going to go through three of them real quick. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but they're very simple and nothing's changed in the course of history on his schemes that he's thrown at us. And yet we still fall prey to them sometimes because I think we're unaware. So let me just give you three schemes quickly of the devil and then we're going to talk about restoring and carrying burdens for one another. Scheme number one, questioning God's word. Questioning God's word. This was the original scheme that brought the first sin that we see the consequences of here in 2021. After creation, the serpent comes to Eve and just simply asks, did God really say? Did God really say? And that scheme hasn't changed. It's still People come to the Bible and be like, yeah, did, did God really say? Yeah, I believe the Bible, but this area, I mean, it's 2023. Surely things have changed. The culture's changed. It's not the same it used to be. Did God really say? Is God's word really everlasting? Is it really unchanging? Did God really say? That's where it starts. So that scheme hasn't changed. Did God really say? Scheme number two, the twisting of God's word. Taking God's word and then twisting it to make it fit something that wasn't meant to. And we see this with when the devil tempts Jesus in Luke chapter 4. This is interesting. The devil says to Jesus in Luke 4, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down for here, for it is written. And so the devil quotes Scripture to Jesus. For it is written, He will give you His angels concerning or orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And what he's doing, he's quoting Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, but what he does is taking it completely out of context. 
Completely out of touch. Rips it right out of there. The context of that whole Psalm 91 is God's protection over his people who take refuge in him. So he takes it out of context, and then he leaves off a very notable verse. So verses 11 and 12 he quotes, but leaves off verse 13, which says, You will tread on the lion and the cobra, and you will trample the young lion and the serpent. That's noteworthy, because that's exactly how the Bible talks about the adversary, devil, Satan. Revelation 20 verse 2 says, the ancient serpent who is the devil. 1 Peter 5 8 talks about him as a roaring lion. So scheme number two, the twisting of God's word, taking it out of context and running with it any way we want him. And finally, scheme number three, falsely promising lasting satisfaction. Again, this was one of the, this is the first scheme. One, did God really say, got Eve to start questioning. And Genesis 3 says, the serpent says to Eve, no, you will certainly not die. And this is what the serpent says. In fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And he tempts Jesus in a very similar way, going back to Luke 4, the temptation of power. In other words, God's holding out on you. God is the anti-fun police. That's what it looks like. God doesn't want you to go have fun, Right? He wants you to go be a monk somewhere, isolated, by yourself, and do nothing but pray. That's what he wants you to do. That's just not true. God's not holding out on you. It actually has the best in store for you if you just surrender yourselves and your own ideas, your own desires, and follow him and actually consider maybe he knows best being your creator than we do. God's not holding out on us, but that's a scheme. And so going back to this temptation that Jesus had, what did Jesus do when he was tempted? Here, The devil was tempting Jesus three different times, and all three times, Jesus responds with God's word, Scripture, specifically out of Deuteronomy. And this goes back to why we make a big deal out of God's word, the Bible. That's why our main diet of sermon time comes from books of the Bible, working through books of the Bible together. Because we need to see God's word. I told you before, I'm not clever or creative, right? You don't want to hear what I have to say. So I lean a lot on the Bible because I believe that the Bible is inspired, infallible Word of God, and it can teach us more than anything that any human ever can. That's why our D groups, our discipleship groups, have a main emphasis on the Bible. Those of you who are in D groups, and there's no secret, we desire everyone to be in a D group because, man, there's so much benefit and blessing and encouragement that we're going to get to a little bit here. But we work through the books of the Bible, and we memorize Scripture. And this is key. Psalm 119.11 says, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. God's word is what feeds our souls. And so my question here is, what do you do when you're stumbling and struggling in your sinning? So I'm going to give you two things. One thing I want you to know and another thing I want you to do. And when I say you, I mean me, I mean what? Us, Right? First, when you're struggling, stumbling, and you're sinning, I want you to know, one, this is not unique to you. Whatever that is, this is not unique to you. It may manifest itself in a very unique way, but the general concept, whatever sin you're struggling with, it's not unique to you. Because there's a scheme of the devil saying, you're the only one that's ever gone through this, and so you better isolate yourself. Don't share with anyone. And the Bible says something completely different. It says those things that are in the dark bring to the light, and that's actually where the healing and forgiveness comes from. Expose them. 
Confess your sins, even to one another. Here's the point. Gross stuff grows in the dark, right? We know this, especially with sin. But this scheme, like, you're the only one that deals with it, so don't ever confess it, because how embarrassing. It's not unique to you. And so it leads to, knowing that leads to doing something. And the doing something is simply ask for help. Now, fellas, we struggle with this, right? Women, I'm sure you do too. I'm just going to talk to the guys because I'm one, I know this. We struggle with asking for help. Like at some level, we believe the lie, like asking for help is a sign of weakness and a lack of manlyhood. We need one another. Again, we saw carrying each other's burdens. We need other brothers in Christ. Sisters, you need other sisters in Christ. We need one another. And so this asking for help is simply sharing your struggle with another brother and sister in Christ. This is the one another's we see in in Scripture. Especially here, this this one another is church language. This was in the context of local church. And so, just to be clear, the Bible does not know a Christian apart from a local church. I think we continue to feel the sway of the 21st century. But the first century church, as it established, had no problem with being a committed member of a local church. I think we have a hard time with that because we don't see the Bible verse, thou shalt be a member. I'm getting ahead of myself, but we're going to go down this rap. We're here. Thou shalt be a member, right? It's not in there. I'll be the first one to say it. Why? Because it was assumed and it's implied. I'm getting way ahead of myself. So listen, membership. It's so interesting to me. People push back on membership. We talk about this in our connecting point class. Why church membership? What's the Bible say about church membership? We did a series years ago about the church, and we talked about membership. Simply, the Bible calls us to be a committed person to a people. Committed. That's what it says. Again, what we see here is that you're saved to a person, Christ, and to a people, the church. And we take the New Testament just in itself. What's the New Testament consist of? It's the building of the church. And then the majority of the New Testament is written to local churches or local church leaders. And so a lot of the commands you see there are carried out in local church context. And so it was already assumed they didn't have to feel a need to say, in 2023, I need you to be committed somewhere. That's a recent movement of isolation. We're called to be a committed believer in the body of believers. You need a community. You need a community of believers to, to belong to, to do life with. This is, again, going back to how do you do that? It's more than just Sunday morning. Again, discipleship groups. We really do do life together. We're a people who bears and carries each other's burdens. I mean, we need a people to come around us. We have men's ministry, women's ministry, young adult ministry, student ministry, but it's all for naught if you're not a part of it. Really. Like, we need one another. If you go back to Acts 2, Acts 4, you see that they did life together. It wasn't like, okay, 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, right? That's good, but that's not it. It really is daily they met together from house to house, breaking bread, fellowshipping, praying, and they went to the temple. It's all of this that we get to do life together. But then we see here, it talks about you who are spiritual. 
And he says, restore such a person, this, such a person who's overcome in wrongdoing, with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so you won't be, also be tempted. And it says, carry one another's burdens, and this way you fulfill the law of Christ. This is another call to us that church is not a spectator sport. Like, we have this mentality, I'm going to come and get fed, and praise God. I pray the, the word of God feeds your hearts. But this is not a spectator sport. We close every worship gathering with some, some kind of phrase that says, church is not a place that you go, a thing that you do, but it's a people you belong to. Why? Because that's what the Bible teaches. And we need that. We need that community. We continue to see the family-type language in the Bible emphasizes being an active, healthy part of a local family. I think about my own house. The Wellerspoon house, we emphasize that there should not be an idle hand in the house. There cannot be. There's a lot of us, man, right? I mean, moms, there should not be an idle hand in your house. Amen. But we know this because why? We're called to help and serve and one another's in our families. And so God used that picture of family as the local church also. In the same way, we're to walk alongside, help, serve, care for, bear burdens, all these different things. Pray for, encourage, forgive, discipline, all these things. And as we know, I'm sure moms, you can again testify to this, that family matters are messy at times. So is church. Church family can be messy at times. But here, don't miss this, Christian. This is a command to care for one another. This is not optional. It's not if you have time. Notice it says we're to restore another brother and sister in Christ. And this restore language means, it's the word that you use to set a broken bone. That's what it means. Restore is to set back in place what was broken, that broken bone. And believe me, I know a little bit about setting broken bones recently. Our family, I feel like I'm at the orthopedist uh, every week. Like our family over the last few years have had some broken bones. And so what I've known about broken bones is one, there's different severities, right? Some you can splint. Some, like our recent one, my oldest son, you have to have surgery, a little more invasive. It's similar when we come to restoring a brother or sister who's been overcoming wrongdoing. Sometimes it's just a word of encouragement. It's praying for. Sometimes a little more invasive. gets a little more messy, a little more time and commitment and energy. But whatever it looks like, we're called and commanded to care for one another, to help carry, it says, one another's burdens. And so how do we carry one another's burdens? How do we gently, notice that word, gently, restore? Again, gentleness through the Spirit, right? Gently restore someone who has been overcome, fell prey to sin or wrongdoing. I'm going to give you five, five S's, just because I'm just what I do. Five S's, right? Trying to make this simple. I like simple things, simple person. Five S's. How do you do this? How do you carry one of those burdens? How do you restore someone? S number one is sensitivity. Sensitivity. This is just simply sensing and responding to the needs of someone whom you're in community with, another brother or sister in Christ. Are we sensitive to those things? I'm not talking about, hey, fellas, I'm not talking about getting around just crying and weeping for one another. I'm not saying that. I go sitting around saying kumbaya. I'm not saying that. There may be a time for that. I am saying, are you sensitive to what's going around and around you in your D groups, in your church life, in your ministry areas? 
Are you sensitive to the needs of those around you? And I just, I just hear this because I think in, in our, again, Western society, church culture, I just hear the question, well, pastor, isn't that your job? Aren't you the one that's supposed to be sensitive and responding to the needs? And my answer would be two ways. Yes and no. I mean, yes, as a other Christian, just like all of us, right? We're called and commanded to care for one another. And as the under-shepherd of Christ's church, yes. But no also. You know that's actually not the main ministry of a pastor? It's definitely a vital one. But one of the most important ministries that pastors have is the ministry of the word and prayer in Acts 6-4. Ministry of the word and prayer. Not to forsake this, what I'm trying to say is this is all of us. A pastor cannot shepherd, care for a whole church by himself. Or if they have even a staff, they weren't meant to. This is an us thing. We keep pawning off, I feel like. This is why I'm going down this road real quick. We keep pawning off our responsibilities to really care for one another well. And we just continue higher and higher and higher people to do these different things. It's us. This is family language. So that's a long way of saying, number one, sensitivity. So how do we do this? Number two, your schedule. Just simply, we need to sacrifice our schedules for the sake of another. Carrying one another's burdens takes time. So can we have margin, sacrificing some things maybe we want to do that we have passion about, sacrificing some things for the good of one, someone else? So our schedules. Number three, Scripture. Again, we cannot minister from our own feelings. And this is so key because some of, our, some of you will help alongside one another who those people are dealing with some hard things. We're in a broken world, people are broken, and people do some nasty things to one another. And so we have to resist the feelings of revenge or taking steps to give guidance that are outside biblical bounds. And so we resist our own feelings when carrying one of those burdens, but we continue to point back to God's Word and walking by faith in Scripture. And we see the Word of God protects, as we talked about earlier, but also corrects. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and for training in righteousness. So we go back to God's Word. As you carry the burden, continue to point back to the goodness and promises of God that do not change. And keep pointing back to those who are broken, to the only helper and healer, that is Jesus. And this has been just revolutionary in my ministry as a pastor, realizing I'm a fix-it guy. Like, I want to fix things. I just, when my wife says something that's wrong, my kids have something wrong, I want to fix it, but so often I can't fix it. Especially when it comes to spiritual matters, I can't fix it. What I can do is continue to point back to Jesus, the person who can. And so as we carry one of the burdens, help us to keep pointing back to Jesus, to Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Just come to him, and he gives you rest. Yes, we come to one another, and it's good to be able to listen and care for and minister. And just sometimes you just need someone just to hear. Stop, just don't talk. I just want to share. But as you do that, no, that's a good thing for one another. But ultimately, we have to put our burdens back on Jesus. He's the one that gives us rest. All right, S number four is strength. So sensitivity, schedule, scripture, strength. And this is important. Two cautions. One, 
You cannot carry another's burden in your own strength. Can't do it. You weren't meant to. One, it's a spiritual work most of the time. All the time, but more is more obvious than others. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and His vast strength. And so one, you lean on Jesus as you're pointing that person that you're walking alongside to carry the burdens to lean on Jesus. We can't do that in ourselves. And caution number two, you may not be able to help carry a burden right now. It may not be the right season for you to help with a specific burden that someone's trying to carry. Again, it talks about you who are spiritual. Indicates both a maturity and a mastery of some level over a certain sin. And so I go back to, man, some of the most passionate people about certain things are former addicts of whatever that thing is, right? So, for example, what's the, who's the most passionate about helping alcoholics? A former alcoholic. Who's the most passionate about helping drug addicts? A former drug addict. It's just true, man. Because you've been there, and you've seen God's provision and strength, and doesn't mean you ever stop struggling with it? Not necessarily. But it does mean you don't struggle with it as much. I mean, you name the addiction. Could be su- substance. Could be some form of sexual immorality. So there could be a time when your brother or sister in Christ is struggling with something that you still are at some level struggling with. And so it may not be the right time for you to step in to try to share their and carry their burdens when you're still trying to fix your own. You haven't had victory in Christ over that thing yet. You're still stumbling yourself. Yet, what do you do? Will you bring another brother or sister in Christ who can help? doesn't mean you don't have to be completely separated, but you have to know your own weaknesses, your own limitations. This is what goes back, as we see here in Galatians 6, 1, watching out for yourselves so that you won't also be tempted. So maybe I, if I'm struggling with alcoholism, yet God's given me some certain victories, I have my brother who's just struggling and asking for help. I probably shouldn't be going to the bars with him, right? I probably shouldn't be going over his house and maybe put myself in some sort of atmospheres with him. Yeah, I can't wait till two weeks from now, May 28th, we're having the Fix ministry come in. And they're a, a ministry that we partner with as a local church, ministry that's a ministry geared towards helping those who are in addiction, a very Christ-centered, Jesus-exalting ministry that has done amazing work. And so they're going to come here and help lead us in worship in two weeks from now, but they're going to hear testimonies of God's goodness and see just what God's done in the lives of believers who are overcoming addictions. But it's important that we examine ourselves in this process as we carry the weight of someone else's burdens. And this is verses 4 and 5, what it really speaks to. A person examines his own work, take pride in himself, and not compare himself. This is interesting. And I go back to comparison kills in different ways, but here, I think it can kill, like when you see someone else struggling in sin, thinking, you know what, I will never do that. I will never fall into that sin. Never's a long time, right? And you just don't know how weak you are until you realize how weak you are. So when you see someone else falling in sin, don't let it be the, ne- I'll never do that, yet it should be a flag to put up some guardrails and realizing, you know what, that person at one point thought they'd never be there either. Whatever that thing is, 
I mean, you guys see how many times pastors morally fail. And I can easily go and, man, I got some good guardrails. I got a good wife. I can say, I would never do that. It's just not true. I'm more sinful and depraved even than I know. And so are you. This comparison can be very dangerous. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. Proverbs 16, 18, Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. And that's exactly what we're saying. I'll never do that. It's pride and arrogance. And finally, the fifth S. Is this simply something? Meaning, do something that will help in restoring. Do something. Praying, encouraging. If you don't know what to do, do something. Help at some level. Again, Christians were commanded to sacrifice for the sake of one another. And this is, again, verse 1. talks about carrying each other's burdens. You fulfill the law of Christ. So what's he talking about? He clarified in Galatians 5.14, we saw a couple weeks ago, for the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself, in which Jesus, when he was questioned, who's my neighbor? Jesus says, basically, anyone, everyone, even those people you don't like, want to be around, even hate. Yeah, still you're supposed to love them as yourself. Love your enemies, all those people. This is the people we're supposed to love and sacrifice for. And so what we see here and throughout Scripture is coming to, to Christ by faith is a call to live in proximity and in generosity for one another and with one another. Now, I'm going to touch on this real quick because I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but verses 7 and 8, you see all, all the sowing and reaping. Those that teach, help, sowing, and reaping. And this very much has a very finan- financial aspect to what's being said here. This is speaking to how you use your material possessions and your, your money. But we always, like, I'm always a little cautious here because there's been so much damage by the word of faith heresy. The televangelist, listen, you sow that seed and God will bless you and you'll receive that check in the mail even more than you gave. You sow that seed and you'll be blessed financially and all these different things. And that's not in the Bible. We give for the sake of the good for others because of what God's done in our life. And just the point, how you use your material possessions and your money, it matters to God. It just does. I always get the question, at some level, when we come out giving, and we're not shy about talking about giving. The Bible wasn't shy about talking about giving. Jesus, it's one of the main things he talked about is giving because I'm convinced that's what we idle the quickest. So the conversation usually revolves around when it comes to giving about money. Well, how much am I supposed to give? Right? Isn't that usually the question? How much? Because we see the 10%. And really, that's the wrong question. It's just the wrong question. I go back to Mother's Day. It would be like kids saying, Mom, what's the least I can do for you today? Man, I love you so much. Right? Husbands. And yes, husbands, you have a role in Mother's Day. I'm just be honest, right? Mother and your kids, got a pretty big roller. Honey, how can I least impact for myself do for you today, right? I just want to sacrifice for you this one day of the year. I know I neglect you the rest of the days. This one day, I'm just going to give it all. What's the least I should do, right? Isn't that a weird question? I mean, it's generosity. This is the heart of all of Scripture, especially the New Testament, is generosity towards one another, especially towards the Lord. 
And this is the gospel, really. When we talk about generosity, this is exactly what God did for us. He gave. He gave generously. He gave everything. He didn't say, you know what, there's Josh just stuck in his sin. What's the least I could do? He gave it all, right? Isn't that what Jesus did? Like us being created in God's image but have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all of us have this sin issue that we can't do anything about. We're helplessly, hopelessly stuck in it. The Bible says our good deeds, the best we can do to earn God's forgiveness, is like filthy rags. And so God had to step out because we're so helpless and hopeless to do something about it because we couldn't. We couldn't live the life he expected us to live, so he did it on our behalf. Jesus lived the perfect life that we were called to live and couldn't, to die in our place, the debt that we owed, raise to life on the third day, and now sits at the right hand of God, interceding for all, interceding for all those who believe. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages, the payment that you owe for sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And when Jesus was breathing his last breath on the cross, he said, Tetelestai. It means it is finished. Why that's important? That term means paid in full. When people owed a debt, they would stamp Tetelestai. Paid in full when it was paid. He paid it all. And so when we start talking about giving, it comes out of response of who God is. And that's everything. When we talk about giving, when it talks about burying and carrying one another's burdens. I mean, our mission statement, while we keep going back to the life of this church, is not just something we put on banners. It's the first and second greatest commandment and what we call the Great Commission. So we love God. It's a command, by the way, to love God. Because how could you not love the Lord when you see all that he's done for us. It's amazing. So we love God, and only as our love for God overflows are we and can we love others. And when we love others out of our overflow of love for God, we sacrifice for others. We sacrifice. Sensitive. We sacrifice our schedules. Share scripture. Lean on the Lord with strength and mercy, ministering to one another, bearing each other's burdens. Frankly, we just do something. And from that, we invest and we look to help people to know and grow in Christ, making disciples. And it leads us to verse 9 and 10. And I love this. It says, let's not get tired of doing good. You ever been there? Just tired? Just tired of taking care of other people? Tired of doing good things? Just tired? I need to focus myself. I'm just tired. Moms, ever been there? Just tired. It's interesting, Rachel and I were talking, my wife, and one of the most common things that women want for Mother's Day is a nap. Just want to rest. That's my wife. So my job after worship day will be taking care of the kids so my wife can rest. But let's not get tired of doing good. So especially, therefore we have the opportunity to let's work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. And I, as I talk about this, because there's an all aspect and there's only a, a household local church aspect of how we use our time, talents, and abilities. And this matters a whole lot. And so I was thinking as the same way, I have a family and I have neighbors, literal neighbors. I don't prioritize or sacrifice in the same way for my neighbors as I do my family. That would be out of balance. That would be not a great steward of everything that God has 
given me. And this is the same for the local church. I mean, think about family or local church. We have limits. So how do we steward in our limitations? We have a limited amount of money, a limited amount of time, limited amount of energy, limited amount of people. Set up and tear down team, amen? Limited amount of people. Way kids? But yet we serve a limitless God, and there is where the tension lies. So we have to prioritize and steward everything God's given us in a way that's full dependence on Him, but being responsible as good stewards of all this. And so what's that look like? Well, local church-wise, we have to steward well for the sake of those within the household of faith, but not to neglect those who are out outside the household of faith, if that makes sense. The heart of God clearly in Scripture is to, yes, prioritize taking care of the, God's people, but not to neglect those who are outside the faith, who are outside the local church, who are out, you name it. It's not neglection, it's a prioritization. So how are we prioritizing within the way church family all that God's given us? That question matters a lot because we have a heart of generosity. And like I say, we want to continue to press the accelerator on our generosity for God's glory and for the good of those around us. So how do we do that and how are we doing that? It matters a whole lot. And some things that you know that we've done, Compassion Sunday, which we had last year. Again, we're trying to adopt and help those in third world com- countries who are kids who are been neglected, going without. So Compassion Sunday is adopting to provide needs while sharing the good news about Jesus. I talked about the fixed ministry. We're partnering with them. Our men's ministry went down a couple months ago to help serve alongside them in their, their structure and their building that they're renovating. We have church plants that we're helping send out, Puerto Rico and Fredericksburg. Why? It's a way to help the gospel advance, local churches be established for the good of the communities that they're ministering in. We're sending out missionaries. We've sent out one, and we're praying the Lord continues to send out missionaries. Why? Because we're trying to take the gospel and help meet physical needs, not while neglecting the spiritual needs of many who are going without. So how are we doing this, this prioritization with all the material possessions and finances that we have? How are we stewarding them? So we prioritize inside and then outside. And we go back to membership real quick before I touch on the next point because this matters a whole lot. And this can get really confusing. Because I'm telling you, we get calls all the time of people that just want their bills paid. They don't want anything to do with church, the family. So what do we do with that? Do we just pay everyone's bills that calls us that need help? The answer is no. As hard as it is, we can't. And so take it a step forward. How about members and non-members. And this is, this is not meant to sound legalistic, so I want to bear with me just for a second. If we have a limited amount of everything we have, who do we invest in first is what we're asking. Those who are committed and called to be an active member, a part of this faith family, submitting to leadership while serving and leadership is responsible for their souls? Or people that just come every once in a while? Are you right? Does that make sense? It'd be like the same thing my neighbor walks in my house. Do I treat them the same way as I treat my family? Do I prioritize? Or am I going to pay for them to go to college? Man, I hope not. I can't pay for my own kids to go to college. Yet we don't neglect. It is a prioritization. 
And so I'm so excited about as we continue to prioritize all the things that God has given us for the sake of his glory and for the good around us, for the sake of missions and ministry, we're starting up a new ministry that I'm convinced that God has given us opportunity to invest in. James 1.27, we're talking about the helping the helpless, specifically says, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So how are we doing that? We're now taking steps with specifically the orphan aspect to partner with Henrico Foster Care. And so what we're doing, we're in the midst of starting what we're calling a family advocacy ministry. And what we're going to be doing together, this team that we're composing, but our church as an effort in ministry is wraparound care of foster families. That means helping to encourage, support, being with, carrying their burdens Loving on them in a way that Christ would have us to. So when they have last-minute changes, difficulties, we're there to pray for, to encourage, to help provide for when they have change in their foster care systems or just need someone just a shoulder to cry on. We're going to be there, wraparound support for families in foster care, foster care families. And there's another aspect that we're looking at as well. So there's that, but we also want to, what's called, uh, really wraparound care or mentoring those who have aged out of the foster care system. This is interesting. Young adults. And Virginia is worst at this area. Virginia is it's, it's permanency. 50th in permanency, which means more kids exit the foster care age 18 without a family in Virginia than any other state. So there's a huge need for people to take and just invest and mentor these young adults. And so there's two avenues that us as a church are going to start taking steps to invest in for the good of all. And so we can be praying and see what God does with that because it's a big deal. So as we see some of these commands, yes, individually we're called to be active. As a local church, definitely called to be active. And so we're praying and passionately pursuing Jesus and seeing how we can be active and carrying loads of one another and for the good of all, for those around us, for God's glory. And so I want us to continue to pray about those areas, but also in our own life. Who has God placed you around to help carry the burden? Are you in a community, a smaller community, to where you're actually sharing life with one another, an active part of this faith family? I just want to say this one, just real quick, because here we're talking about and I'm being very clear, the Bible calls us to be committed somewhere. And so we say this in Connecting Point, but I want to say it, we say it here sometimes that, listen, we're a church for anyone. Does that make sense? But we're not a church for everyone. And that's okay. This may not be where the Lord has you. That's okay. But you have to take the next step to see where does God have me to be committed to use my talents, use my gifts, to bear one of those burdens, to care, to serve, to worship with, to walk alongside all these different things, where it matters. Because you weren't meant to do this faith walk alone. So I just want you to pray about what that looks like. This is a good thing. By God's sovereignty, good design for us to be together. Like we talked about last week, the first issue was not sin in the garden, it was aloneness. You weren't meant to be alone. And so before 
I invite the band up. I'm just going to invite you just to start thinking through what God's placing on your heart. And we're going to have time just for prayer. I'm going to allow some space just for you to respond just in prayer, talking to the Lord what he set on your heart. The Bible says, draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. I love this. Psalm 68 verse 19 says, blessed be the Lord. Day after day he bears our burdens. God is our salvation. And it has this simple word, Selah, which is a pause, which is a rest. So I'm going to invite you just to rest. I know as we come here, there's all kinds of burdens and stresses and anxieties and fears and difficulties that you, we have in our life because we live in a fallen, broken, messed up world. But God is near to all those who call out on him. So those who are following Jesus, remember, he says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And if you're here for the first time and for the first time really sensing that, you know what, I may not really know Jesus. Like fully have faith where I can surrender everything. I'm going to invite you to do that. By simply in this prayer time saying, Jesus, I, I don't know all of it, but I know somehow, some way, your blood on the cross counted for me. And that simply by believing, you've called me to believe that that forgiveness is extended to me. And through you, I am now a son or daughter of Jesus, of God himself. This is the good news of the gospel. So whatever God's doing in your life, I'm just going to pause for a minute. We're just going to pray. I'm just going to allow just some quiet time. And after just a few moments, just of quiet reflection, you and the Lord, I'm going to close this time together. Please spend time, just pray to God. And for a minute, I'll close this time. So let's pray. Father, we come before you just thankful for who you are, faithful in everlasting love and graciousness. The promises that you've given us, that you're with us, that you'll never leave us or forsake us, that all who come to you, you then draw near to them. Now, anyone who confesses their sin, you are faithful and righteous to cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness and forgive. Lord, as we come here, we come here with all kinds of backgrounds and baggage and this Mother's Day can well up all kinds of emotions and feelings. Father, I pray that we rest and see you. No matter what our history may have taught us or shaped us, help us to look through all the garbage and see you. Because you are good. Even though our circumstances may not be, you are good. 
Even though everything is crumbling around us, you remain solid and faithful. Lord, help our strength to be rested in you and not of ourselves. Lord, help us to see you more clearly, your goodness and your grace, your amazing love poured out for us. And in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That love produces action. And so help us to just rest in remembrance of the action that he took steps towards us. And that while we were lost and sinners and helplessly stuck in our own sin and unrighteousness, you called us to yourself and cleansed us. And help that love produced in us now overflow in action to those around us. Help us to be carriers of one another's burdens in a loving and gracious and gentle way that restores and builds up your body, the body of Christ. Lord, lead us in this time of worship. Lead us in this time of response. Lead us to respond to you because you are worthy. So as we sing, as we pray, as we give, as we get ready to go, help us to live a life that is pleasing in your sight out of an overflow of what you've done. We thank you, Father. We pray all this in the name that's above every other name, that is the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer, or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.